What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? If you had all the money, all the time, all the knowledge, all the resources that you needed? What would you do with your life if you simply knew that anything was possible for you? My name is Christina Carlson, founder of Global Swedish Design and stationery brand Kiki K, and author of the book Your Dream Life Starts Here. And I love exploring these sorts of questions to inspire people to dream. Before I started Kiki K, I had a dream that I could bring Swedish design to the world to create beautiful products that bring sparks of joy into the everyday lives of millions. Now that I have achieved that dream, I want to help you dream big. I want to create a global movement to inspire 101 million dreamers to transform their lives and transform the world in return. Each episode, I'll be talking to some of the world's most inspiring people, exploring the powerful impact that dreaming has had on their lives. We'll be diving deep into the power of dreaming with real insights and ideas that you can use immediately to build a dream life of your own, whatever that means for you. This episode, I was lucky enough to speak to the wonderfully inspiring Ruby Warrington, an author, speaker, brand consultant, copywriter, a thought leader with 20 years experience as a lifestyle journalist. Founder of the Numinous, an online platform that aims to make the mystical more mainstream, Ruby believes in the value of feelings as well as facts and encourages us all to acknowledge that being human is a truly spiritual experience. Through her books, Material Girl, Mystical World, and her latest title, Sober Curious, as well as her Sober Curious events and retreats, Ruby is on a mission to inspire people to see the world through a new lens, inviting them to engage with life on a deeper, more meaningful level. After asking herself what she really wanted out of life, Ruby was curious about the benefits of living an alcohol-free existence and soon realized that she could be more present, energetic, and focused when she removed alcohol from the equation. As someone who has given up alcohol for over two and a half years now, I just loved speaking to Ruby about her sober curious journey, and I hope you will enjoy our chat as much as I did. Full of simple tips and inspirational learnings, this episode will help you discover what happens when you ask yourself, what type of life do I really want to live? Helpful tips for anyone who may be considering giving up alcohol how to focus on the positive things you'd like to cultivate in your life rather than the negative things you would like to remove, the importance of treating yourself with love and doing more of the things that make you feel great, some incredible benefits that Ruby and I have both found from giving up alcohol, ways to work through a fear of change when making large life decisions, how a regular journaling practice can help you understand yourself on a deeper level, The benefits of being selective with how you spend your time, your energy, and who you spend it with, and so much more. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode, so let's get right into it. So hello, Ruby, and welcome to our Dream Life podcast. Thank you so much for taking the chance to speak with me today. I know you have a very full schedule with your and just launched your book. So I'm so glad that we could catch up when we're actually both in London because you're based in New York. I cannot wait to explore your brand new book, Sober Curious, and get into 
a heap of inspiration for our listeners. But first, before we get into all of that, I would love, and this is something I do to all my guests, is what were your dreams for the future when you were a child? What did you want to do or be? (laughs) What did you dream about being or doing? Um, A mermaid or a fairy. I mean, I used to love dressing up as a kid and I just, some of my earliest memories in terms of imagining my adult life or imagining my womanhood were coming home from school and as soon as, as quickly as possible, ripping off my regular clothes and putting on some kind of an incredible outfit (laughs) and, you know, go running out into the garden to play. So yeah, and and I think I always had a real love of fashion and clothes kind of came out of that and the power of clothes to kind of like transform us, I suppose. Yeah, And so the earliest kind of career path I can really remember was fashion designer or something in fashion. And I did go on to have a long career as a a fashion magazine writer. And it was actually, yeah, I mean, my my subsequent kind of career as a writer sort of came out of that because my other love as a child was reading. And as soon as I could read, and I was one of the first kids in my class to read, I would just be in a book. So there was this idea, a real connection to the idea of fantasy and stories, words for telling stories and clothes for telling stories. And I think fashion journalism was a real marriage of those two things. But as I've got older and kind of really thought about what's stories I'm most interested in. It's the reason I was so interested in stories, I think, is because of what they can tell us about human nature. And I think the deeper or maybe higher kind of like octave or even level of those, that interest in storytelling was about just understanding human beings and who we are and who we can be and who we want to be and our potential, you know? So... So story, I think, yeah. is the kind of like the short answer, yeah, <laughs> but a storyteller yeah. through through whichever means I could find, mm. yeah. Which you actually have really, you're living your dreams. So uh, there's so much to talk about. Maybe before we get into your latest book, which is really the theme I want to talk mm. about today, because I think it's such a great message for so mm. many of us. Tell us a little bit about how you, you know, so you started in in the magazine world, mm. how you kind of got to, and then you you launched your first book, which you can mm-hmm. really talk us mm. through, mm. and then we'll get into your um, current one. Okay. Then we're good to get <laughs> yeah. our listeners a bit of, sure. heard of you. A um, bit of a timeline. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I had, so yeah, you're right, here we are in London, and it's my hometown, and I went to London College of Fashion and began working in magazines right away as soon as I graduated for all the kind of like cool magazines in London and worked my way up until I was a features editor at the Sunday Times Style Magazine, which is a very prestigious position, a glossy, you know, national magazine that came out with the Sunday Times. But it was about two or three years into that job that I started to feel very restless and like, oh, I'd kind of achieved all my ambitions. And was this as, it was almost like, is this as high as I set my bar? This didn't feel very high. And actually, I didn't really want to progress further in the magazine while I didn't really want to be an editor or a publisher. It seemed to me that beyond the level I was at, it got much more about politics and the corporate world, whereas I wanted to still be creative. And I just felt quite sort of like, oh, is this it, you know? Um, And it was around that time that I started um, thinking about what I could perhaps work on as a passion project on the side. And so then, of course, start delving deeper into what am I really curious about? What am I curious about now? And astrology was another something else that as a child, I'd always been really, really interested in. And I suppose, you know, you asked me, what did I want to be? And my first words were a fairy or a mermaid, right? And I think astrology too was something 
when I even began to learn about that as a child, it sort of had carried the same element of mysticism and sort of fantasy and the idea of like a world that we couldn't necessarily see, but that we were very much a part of. And I decided to study astrology as a kind of a side project as something just to keep me interested and and bubbling. (laughs) And very quickly, I had the idea for a magazine that presented astrology in a way that was aspirational and chic and modern and cool. Because at the time, this was like 2010, there really wasn't anything like that. If you, like me, were interested in astrology, it was still very closeted. Like it was very behind the scenes. People weren't really talking about it. It was still seen as very woo-woo. All of the websites looked like they'd been made in the 1980s. Everything was just quite uncool. Yeah. And very, yeah, felt very old fashioned. A very old fashioned, exactly. And there weren't very many younger voices in the space, you know? I agree. So I had this idea for a magazine that would kind of bridge those two worlds. And I wanted to call it the numinous. It was a word that I had been taught by my astrology mentor at the time. And numinous is a word that means the that which is unknown or unknowable. And it speaks to that kind of fantasy yeah. part of our existence, or the magical part of our existence. Yeah. And it was around the same time where this idea was bubbling. Um, my husband got a job in New York. And so all of a sudden, kind of completely out of the blue, we had the opportunity to move to New York. And I was faced with, well, leaving my career, leaving my job behind and going with him. So I moved to New York and I had all this time on my hands and busily went about establishing myself as a freelance journalist and was very successful in that for a few years there. But in the meantime, had all this space to create this online magazine, The Numinous. And it was about a year or so after it launched, I was approached by an editor at HarperCollins asking if I was interested in writing a book. The magazine, when the Numinous first launched, it was a lot about astrology, but also covered all sorts of mystical topics and different ideas about emotional and spiritual wellness. And this editor, the HarperCollins woman, she said, you know, this is being presented in a way that's very different and very modern. And we love your voice. And do you have a book proposal? (laughs) And I did (laughs) not So I very quickly got one together. Yes, right. (laughs) (laughs) Because at the time, I mean, I was just stunned I didn't think that I thought all the kind of the common the wisdom that I had assimilated around trying to get a book deal was that it was arduous process you had to write a proposal and get a million no's before anyone would look at it that's kind of what I believed and then the publishing industry has actually changed a lot over the past decade actually Mm -hmm. and now that so many people are able to have a platform and build a following publishers are actually seeking out voices who already have a following in order to do books so I guess that was just sort of starting to happen yeah So yeah, my first book, Material Girl, Mystical World, Mm -hmm. came out in the summer of 2017. Um, And it really tells the story of, well, it's an introduction to all of the subjects I cover on The Numinous, but told through the lens of my personal experiences and the the major transformations I I experienced personally as a result of embracing these tools and practices in my life. And so, yeah, that was the that was the first book, and that's how I got there. <laughs> Wonderful, yeah. I love um, hearing your story first of all, and I love that our listeners can actually take something out of this because I think a lot of our listeners are are um, perhaps thinking about starting their own business, and mm. sometimes it's hard to take that step. But having a passion mm. project like you did mm. to actually keep your job and then start something on the side, I think is a really good message. And the more we hear about that, the more the likely people are to to look at that so because it's yeah. a very big frightening step to think about leaving all of your security we need to be mm. we need to be materially secure 
to kind of like take a risk on something that may or not. And I become a successful, I mean, successful meaning, a, you know, a business that's able to support us. And I also think it look, puts a lot of pressure on whatever your dream is yeah. to immediately become a revenue source when yeah. actually maybe it needs some time. And in my experience, certainly is likely to need some time to develop and for you to, re- if, if it's something especially that's coming very much from your heart, yeah. it will need some time to develop and grow and mature and to respond to the market. Particularly if you don't, like I didn't have an MBA, I'm not business yeah, minded or, <laughs> you know, so it's very yeah. much, I've had to kind of really learn it as I've gone along step by step. And the thought of putting the pressure on that to pay my bills from the outset, it just probably would never have got as far as it did but being able to keep well I mean keep keep freelance writing you know and have that as my main bread and butter meant that I could really just play with it and enjoy it and I think that infused it with a very special energy a very magnetic energy which brought in this book deal and has brought in all these other sorts of opportunities you know I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, it's we hear about those overnight successes, but they normally take a few years <laughs> exactly. before, they, before they actually before, become overnight. Exactly. <laughs> when you really dig behind the scenes, yeah. it's like, yes, there's been, you know, this is something that's been worked on for many years. It's just that we see it at a point when it's got big enough that we're going to see it. Absolutely. And I often think about things, you know, I didn't know about Marie Kondo until her book had already been a bestseller in like yeah. 20 countries. Yeah. I had never heard of her, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. until that point. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. No, it's so true. And I think um, I think your point there of actually giving it time and giving it the love that it needs mm. to start with uh, and actually not having to hurry to make money out of it is really good because then it comes out of your heart and it mm-hmm. comes out of your passion. So absolutely. And you can enjoy it as yeah. well, you yeah. know, enjoy, yeah. the, enjoy the process. Yeah. Mm. I started my business quite a while ago now, but I uh, I used to do breakfast shifts in the morning because I, um, I uh, wanted to get it over and done with so I could work on my business all mm. day and then I did night shifts in restaurants mm. as a host so I'm so with you and I think um, I think that's the often that's often reality for most yeah. people if you can't if you don't have savings or or parents or partners exactly. that can support you that's what you have to do and uh, you know that adds to the story as yeah well, so and it's just it's about what kind of a life do you want to live yeah. even, even in the early days many people advised me to seek investment and I even got as far as writing an investor deck, but I kept coming back to what kind of life do I want to live? Yeah. And ultimately, I don't necessarily want to be answerable to someone an investor. Yeah. I, that for me would be like working for someone else again. The yeah. most important things for me, I've realized, are being able to set my own schedule, yeah. having creative freedom. Yeah. And if it means it takes a bit longer or, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a different process, but it's about the kind of life that I want for yeah. myself. Such a good point and a great <laughs> one for our listeners. So thank mm. you for sharing. So let's chat about your latest book now. Mm. So be curious. Mm. Huge congratulations. Thank you. you. You refer your book as both a conversation starter and a handbook, mm. essential reading that empowers readers to transform their relationship with alcohol mm. so we can lead our most fulfilling lives. Mm. So <laughs> I feel very passionate about this too because actually the day of recording, which is 4th of March, I have uh, haven't had any alcohol for 18 months and, um, and I am not saying, so if anyone sees me when this is actually out on the podcast, see me drinking, I haven't decided when I'm going to drink. So mm. it's, uh, but it was something I did a deal with someone um, mm. who, um, who wanted to... Uh, finish something else um nicotine and i did a deal with him and he said what are you gonna do and i i 
the only thing that I could think of was alcohol and something that I thought about for a long time because I, I'm not a great sleeper and I travel a lot and the combination has never been great. And being a wine lover, it was always an opportunity to have a glass of wine everywhere. So I felt like, yeah, it was good to give it a break. And I do have a thing every year where I, I always try to live a different year in terms of I always try to add or remove something. So it might be a course or travel that I would do to not living the same life because I feel like life is short so I want to experience as much as I can mm. um, but sometimes taking away actually adds to life in different ways and I'm sure <laughs> you're going to relate to that so yeah um, can you share a little bit what we can expect from your book and obviously we're going to link to it so everyone can get it but I'd love to understand what the term sober curious means mm. to you and why you're obviously I'd love to hear all the story why you came to us sure. and, and the whole well I'll start with the how I came to it because if you know based on what I've already said about my career path and the things I wanted to do with my life it might seem like a bit of a departure to be interested in all these mystical things fashion writing storytelling to then be like sobriety Mm -hmm. (laughs) and when I first pitched the idea for the book um, to the same editor at HarperCollins I even spoke to my agent. I was like, is this a little bit of a departure? Are people going to think it's strange that me, mystical, numinous Ruby, is now writing a book about sobriety? (laughs) And um, she sort of said no, because this is very much a part of your story. And yeah, it's been a very personal kind of thing that's been gradually unfolding behind the scenes over the whole timeline that I kind of just laid out for you as well. Um, It was about eight or nine years ago, I first began to get what I call sober curious. Yeah. And that really is about, meaning I first began to really question how I was using alcohol, why I was using alcohol and the impact, the wider impact that alcohol was having on my life and my well-being. Yeah. Um, and it was a very kind of internal process of questioning in the beginning. Yeah. As I kind of, you know, got to my sort of middle 30s, I suppose, I really began to notice how negatively any amount of drinking was impacting me. You know, whether it was a big night out, meaning a bit of a binge, and I would wake up just feeling horrendous the next day, or if it was just a couple of glasses of wine, and I would notice that I didn't sleep properly, and so I was groggy and tired the next day, and sometimes that would last for several days, you know? It just seemed to me that no matter what situation I drank in, there would always be a very negative impact. Not that I hadn't, of course, I'd always had hangovers, but I bounced back from them. And I think it's something a lot of people experience as we get a little bit older. It's like, yeah, your body just can't process it in the same way. But I think coupled with that, the more responsibilities you have in the outside world, the more you notice not being able to show up and the more you need to be able to and want to be able to show up fully, it becomes more obvious that alcohol is actually often preventing that. So this was a very personal thing, but it really kicked into high gear when I moved to New York and began to work on my passion project more full time because I realized I didn't want to lose any days. I wanted to be like fully present all the time, you know, especially if I was juggling multiple freelance projects, trying to get my own thing off the ground. There was just no time to be wasted getting wasted. (laughs) And so so get it. And so um, again, it began to really shine a light on the fact that I was still using alcohol. And I just thought, "Mm, why is this? You know, I didn't see myself as addicted to alcohol. I didn't see, meaning I didn't see myself as an alcoholic because I had a lot of preconceived ideas about what alcohol addiction looks like. And I didn't necessarily see my story within that. And I think, if I can interrupt just mm. for a second, I think um, I think that's why I'm so excited to have you on talking on this subject because mm. I think so many people don't have an addiction. It's not a problem. 
but still where there is something that can be gained of maybe not necessarily, maybe just drink less or mm. not giving up altogether. I'm not talking about that. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's more about, you know, what, what can – what can each individual gain if they if they exactly yeah. and the sober curious approach is very much about really focusing on what do I want to cultivate and bring into my life and how may drinking and the after effects and the side effects of drinking be preventing that rather than hmm, alcohol is a problem I must remove it from my life yeah. you know it's yeah. more about focusing on the positive things you want to cultivate and yeah. make space for and often when we begin to really think about that and do an honest appraisal of the space and the energy than yeah. the time that alcohol is taking up in our lives, it starts to become a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah. But then, you know, because alcohol is so ingrained in our culture, like Australia has a big drinking culture. I believe in Sweden has a big drinking culture. Absolutely. <laughs> right? The, the UK. Everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Unless we're talking about Muslim countries, yeah, you know, yeah. or, or places where it's culturally just off the table. Yeah. But in the West, certainly a strong, strong thread of alcohol running through really everything we do. It touches every single aspect of our lives, whether it's work drinks, whether it's drinking with our family, drinking with friends and within our relationships. And then we really think about the actual effect on our wellness too. I mean, it's just, hmm, (laughs) it's kind of everywhere. So it's a huge subject. And it was really, the other thing is that it was really um, beginning to embrace many of the things I was covering on the numinous, many of the more alternative ideas about wellness, whether it was shamanism, energy healing, breath work, even down to the more basic sort of yoga and meditation. I was realizing that many of these practices would give me the same feelings of relaxation and joy and transcendence that I'd been looking for in alcohol but without any of the negative side effects. In fact, with a bunch of positive side effects. (laughs) Like we're actually making me feel more connected to myself, more inspired, or helping me to really address some of the deeper emotional issues that I, like emotional baggage that I'd just been carrying, you know, which we all do. Yeah, We all have some demons in the closet, you know, (laughs) which all just need a bit of love and which often we are, whether we're consciously aware of it or not, using alcohol to kind of like gloss over. Yeah. Um, looking at. So yeah, by once I started really stepping into my numinous world, again, I, I just found myself needing or desiring alcohol a lot less because I was having all these other experiences that were fulfilling the same needs, I suppose, or desires. And so over that period, the last section of my first book was called People and Parties. And it's all about, there was a, section, a chapter on Burning Man, there was a chapter on plant medicine, <laughs> you know, because in the sort of spiritual world, yeah, this, I've, I think when we think about, when I think about one of the reasons I used alcohol, it was to experience transcendence or like something magical in a way, to have a magical experience, something out of this world. Yeah. And so in spirit, when you start thinking about spirituality and our spiritual self and our spiritual well-being, alcohol is like very intimately intertwined with that also. Yeah. And so the more I address my spiritual well-being, the more like it get, like I said, it, it just shone a light on the way I was using alcohol. So steadily, steadily over the years, I used less and less of it. But there were times when it felt very difficult, when the peer pressure was so, so strong, when I knew that not drinking would make me an outsider, when there would be a strong temptation to drink. There were certain situations I realized where it was very difficult for me not to not to have a drink. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, maybe I'm a bit more dependent than I ever realized. I may not have lost a job or had a DUI or ever like injured myself severely as a result of drinking, 
but maybe I'm a bit attached in some ways. So I went to, I did go to a couple of AA meetings, but again, what I heard there was not relevant to me no. and my story. Yeah. And it just felt very extreme. Yeah. And it felt, um, and I, and what I began to realize at the time was actually that many, many more people were thinking the same things as me, but just not talking about it yeah. because there wasn't really any kind of a forum to have an open judgment free conversation yeah. about the problems that many people were experiencing. Well, not even problems, but the conflicted relationship, yeah. shall we say, that people yeah. had with alcohol. And so I decided to create an event series to address this. And that was about three years ago. Yeah. An event series meaning panel discussions and group activities and just a way to get people together where there was no alcohol, where we could actually talk about the role alcohol plays in our lives. Yeah. And it was after a couple – it was whilst – kind of organizing that and start beginning to be vocal about being what I called sober curious, which literally means bringing this questioning mind or this curiosity to our relationship to alcohol. But yeah, I kept getting asked to speak on podcasts about it and, you know, mind, body, green and well and good for like writing it up as a big trend. And I'm like, oh, this is just... I just created this for me, really. It's just a side thing, <laughs> you know? And it was around that time I got a new agent and I sort of said, do you think I should pitch a book on this? Even though my first book had just come out. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, you really should. This is, yeah. a, this is a really important conversation. So very much a personal thing that was almost a byproduct of what I was doing in terms of living my dream life and creating my passion has now become this other, this second book, which, I mean, I think that it's, it's helping to really facilitate a movement away from the dominant drinking culture that we, we touched on earlier, you know? My ultimate goal, I think, is to really make it as normal to not drink yeah. as it is to drink. Yeah. Whereas currently it's not. <laughs> no, it's such a good um, good dream or goal to have um, mm. because what I've experienced mm. and um, is that it is fine to ask why I don't drink, but if I ask people why they drink, they get that's like that's people don't like that <laughs> and I think it's funny because I you know I um I, I was very much like you I didn't have any you know any problems with in terms of um mm. I, I never felt that I drank I drank frequently but mm. often you know very rarely too much mm. in my, you know it's like wasn't really affecting me more than the sleep and mm. the, but I was just curious um, you know it's a very good book for me because I was just curious and some of my friends thought I was crazy and because I, I also do really love red wine that was the only thing I drank so mm. it wasn't like I'd, I'd never drank any like hard liquor mm. liquor or things like that but um or cocktails I've always been just a wine bread mm. lover but the very passionate lover of that so <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a really good conversation and you know for me not thinking that was affecting my body or my mind many ways was that I thought about if I had a drink, you know, and sometimes we're just talking one drink or two mm. drinks, so it's not like a massive amount. But often in the morning I was like, and I read so much about health and I read so much mm. about health all the time. And every time you read about what alcohol does to your body, I always think, oh, I do so many great things. Like I, I look after my body, I eat well, I exercise, I meditate, and then I kind of destroy it with that alcohol at night that I probably don't need, but it's kind of becoming a bit of a habit. 
And I started to really, because um, I journal a lot, I started really write about it and think about, you know, if what if I took a year year off just to test it? And I asked some of my friends who were also wine lovers and no one wanted to join me. It's funny. Mm. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to do it with someone one day. So it probably took two years and I kept writing why I want to do it. So I think it's a good one to, if anyone is listening here and thinking about, uh, I want to hear about your tips. But the way I did it was... Um, starting to write why and so then when I decided to and when I bumped into my friend who I did the bet with I was so ready because even my partner he said do you want to think about this you're like I've been thinking about it babe <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about it and um, I said I can do a year and it, you know I also love it I, I thrive on, on a challenge and mm. I like to do things to try different things and why not you know it's not you know one year I could do it and I've done 18 months but and it's just been amazing uh, because um, I realized also that you I become such a morning person that I love my morning so much that I similar to you I just did not want to not feel amazing and if you get up at five and you had a drink us at midnight it just doesn't the, the combination is not great <laughs> so I kind of just started to think about you know the benefits very similar to you what's the benefits of not drinking and then I thought I'm going to give it a year and then one of my girlfriends Rebecca who is also a wine lover she's on a year now as well so it's really oh, exciting interesting. so I think yeah so I think yeah it's a top where if you have a problem you know where to go but if you actually just want to change some things because it's so because people either think you're pregnant mm-hmm. or something is wrong with you mm-hmm. or they or think you, ha- you have a problem or you have a problem yeah. and I'm like no none of those and I just wanted to try something different and and because I pr- I'm pretty strong in terms of I don't really care what people think and I'm um but not everyone is like that so it'd be good to kind of first mm. give our listeners some tips from your perspective and um, how they can if they want to do it how to deal with those situations because I've gone a year and a half so I've done the Christmases I've done the summers and the barbecues and the holidays and I even been to because one person said to me I want to do it but I'm going to Napa Valley I said I, I went to Napa Valley you can go there without drinking <laughs> There's always going to be something. That's Absolutely. the thing. And, I talk, weddings and yeah. I talk about this in my book. Like there's never going to be a, an easy, a, a right time. No. Meaning there's never going to be a long stretch where you don't have something in what, that would be a drinking occasion. And in fact, that's a good sign. It shows that you have a life of full of celebration and yeah. friends and holidays and like all of the good things Absolutely. that we want. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. So there's never really going to be a right time. I think you just need to um, take the plunge. But I think in terms of tips, that's something I always recommend is the writing down your reasons for doing this yeah. so that you've got something to refer back to and like almost psych yourself up. It's like, I really want these things on this list. And I know that I can't, I don't, I'm not going to have alcohol in order to like have these things. Yeah. Um, that really, really helps. I think, yeah, fine. Like again, you, yeah, I mean, you, you intuitively <laughs> were kind of doing lots of the things that I'd recommend, but finding someone to do it with, yeah. whether it's a friend, whether it's your partner, somebody who can be a kind of sober curious buddy. So you don't feel like you're always the odd non-drinker out because often you will be more yeah. often than not. In fact, wow. I would say 99% of the time <laughs> you're going to be the one who's like making yourself an outsider by not drinking. And that's a painful place to be. Painful is maybe a strong word. That's an uncomfortable place to be. It goes against our biological need to fit in and be accepted, you know? So it's definitely, it can be challenging, but it can also be really exciting, you know, to be, to put yourself through that challenge or to really um, prove to yourself that you don't actually need alcohol. You can be, you can have exactly the same life, but better, (laughs) but without hangovers, let's say, um, without alcohol, 
So yeah, having a buddy, knowing all of your reasons for doing it. I also, I would recommend if you really want to experience all the benefits, I would say at least three months. Yeah. Commit to at least three months. Yeah. I don't think that a month, a lot of people do dry January. And I know in Australia, there's dry July. Yeah, and Feb fast. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's yeah. pretty much every month. Yeah. You want- <laughs> that's an option. Which is great, right? But at the same time, if lots of other people are doing it at the same time, you're not really going to have the same challenge. And it is facing those challenges that ultimately will fast track your self-belief and fast track your um, understanding of the fact that you really don't need alcohol. The more challenges you can, the more, I call them sober firsts, the more sober firsts you can do next to each other, meaning your first sober wedding, first sober birthday party, first sober vacation, even first sober Friday night, like whatever it is, you know, they're all the sober firsts, (laughs) first sober family visit. The more of those you can do quickly, the more used to that you will become and the more quickly you'll literally begin to build new neural pathways in your brain that take you away from your, you know, the deeply ingrained habit to maybe reach for a drink in those situations. So don't shy away from the sober first, like really embrace and see each one of those as an opportunity to get stronger and get more confident about the choice that you're making. I'm really curious to hear, I mean, you said you were going to do a year. So why did you, were you looking at that year marker and was that diary date where you're like, okay, I'm going to have some red wine and planning the bottle or were you just not really thinking about it like that? No, so what what (laughs) I did is, so I I thought about it for probably two years or talked about it and, you know, some Mm. of my friends can just stop talking about it because they're going to do it. No, they said just stop it. Just drink, be normal. But yeah, I'm right. Like, nah, I'm not going to be normal. So I, um, I really wanted to do it with someone because mm. I, I, um, I do love a challenge, mm. and I, I wanted to do it with someone who actually. So there were a few people who said I'd do it, but they were the ones who had one glass of wine on a Friday night, and I said if you just had one glass of a Friday night, I think you should have that because you don't, <laughs> you don't really need to right. stop. Drinking. Yeah. So I wanted to do it with someone who loved wine as much as I did, mm. and I couldn't find um, anyone who wanted to do that. And then I have this friend who in Sweden we have a nicotine product which is similar to cigarettes, but it, it's not smoking. It's called Snuff. Oh, yeah, I know about uh, yeah. Snuff. It's like and, a tobacco chewing yeah, tobacco. tobacco. Yeah, yeah. And he was sitting using that, and I, you know, and I just said to him, why are you doing that? Like, that's not great for you. Mm. So, well, I've done it since, I don't know, I think 11 or 14 or whatever mm. he said, I'm never going to be able to quit. And I love when people say never because I'm like, yeah, I like the challenge. <laughs> so I said, hey, and we were drinking wine at the time and I said, hey, you can, if you really want to, you can do this. And then um, we'd start debating it and talking about it. And, you know, and also I do love a challenge and I always thrive on, on doing something that's difficult. Mm. And um, so... In the end of the night, he said, okay, let's do it. He said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, the only really thing that I feel like that is something that I've been thinking about is wine. And because I've thought about it and wrote about it, and because I'm, I'm, did not, I did a list, but I also did some journaling about it mm. almost every day mm. um, as part of my journaling. So I was really ready. Like I was just waiting for that right person. Yeah. So um, I said to him, you tell, because for him, like for me, I, I wasn't drinking. So I was depending on it. Like, mm. I, you know, there was nights that I didn't drink at all. Mm, and, mm, um, mm. and so it wasn't a, you know, it was never a real problem. While he, his thing was like ingrained and very much like you know stop smoking yeah so he I knew that he would have it much 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 yeah, higher yeah, yeah. so I said to him you set the date and you because he was going holidays I said you can do it because I knew that this will be a challenge it will be a 
you know, like a real physical mm, problem for mm. him. So I said, you, uh, and he, he was working and I said, hey, you, you tell me your date, date and I'm ready. And uh, Paul, <laughs> my partner, he said, do you want to talk about this? And I said, no, nah, I'm ready. If he wants to do it, I'm so ready. So, and I said, <laughs> hey, but you are, if we're doing this, we're doing it. Like there is no, you know, there's no like yeah. negotiation in two weeks time saying, should we do it next year? Like if you're doing it, we're doing it. Um, <laughs> so he set the date of 4th of September and every week I sent him, every week to start with or probably daily to start with, I sent him quotes to remind him why we're doing this and because he, he was the one who um, mm. had the challenge and it was really good to actually do it with someone else because I knew that he had it much harder than I did. So it was kind of that helped me, yeah. you know, and I, what I did also, so, so, so I did that. And then after a year, everyone was starting to ask, like, um, you know, are you going to drink to celebrate? Are you going to, and I wasn't sure. I was like, I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to decide, you know, cause I, I didn't do this to quit forever. Mm. And so I said, Hey, I don't really know. And then, and then when it came closer, I was like, no, I actually don't want to. Like I, <laughs> I, you know, and someone said, let's, you know, let's get the best bottle, your favorite bottle. And I'm like, I don't actually know. And then um, we celebrated with some friends uh, and my friend, and he actually started stop drinking as well. So he's doing, I believe he said nine months. I'm not sure because mm. now I feel like he's just done so well. I don't need to try to keep yeah, him right. <laughs> But it's kind of um, became a really good um, habit for him as well. And what I do, though, for anyone who's listening in terms of having, because sometimes it's a physical, you know, putting your day behind, you know, the drink is not just about alcohol it's also that that amazing feeling of you're putting the day behind it's you. a ritual it's a ritual mm-hmm. yeah so I actually uh, I love kombucha so mm. um, so I put I drink a pink kombucha so it's almost like, like pink champagne and I put it in a champagne glass or a wine glass because mm. more about holding that glass mm-hmm. and then kombucha I, in a champagne glass is great yeah so there's one in America that's a brand it's called cool aid and they do one California grape and it kind of tastes a bit like wine yeah it's like this is completely <laughs> For just filling that gap yeah so I do that and you know if I'm uh, if I'm um, in Sweden for example we have a lot of non-alcoholic beers I, never mm. had, I actually never had beers before I stopped drinking but now sometimes because mineral water sometimes gets a bit boring it does so for those people who are also thinking you can do um obviously cocktails and stuff without alcohol mm-hmm. and um and yeah, I just, I, I, it's just been a, as I said, I don't know when I'm, I haven't now made a decision when I'm going to do it. And, um, well, you don't need to. No, no. And I think your story just shows you were feeling so good. I mean, you must have really noticed the oh, positive benefits, sweet. even though you said you weren't noticing a problem. It's often, I think people, if you don't have a problem, like it hasn't become really a pressing emergency situation you don't really know how much it's affecting you until you remove it and then it can be this revelation of like wow I'm sleeping like jet lag so much easier to deal with or just just the physical like energy that you have and I found myself so much more optimistic and so much more confident and I felt so much more resilient in terms of other problems problems that would come my way I mean of course you know we we live in a world beset with problems right the problems don't go away when you don't have alcohol but you're so much better equipped to cope and to handle them and to see past the immediate kind of situation in hand to a a more easy future I think so yeah yeah, I'm sure you're just experiencing those things which then when you really consider it 
why would I bring alcohol back in when I'm not drinking it? I have all of these positive benefits, you know? And again, just focusing on the benefits rather than thinking about what you're missing out on. Yeah. And I think the most beneficial thing of the sleep, definitely, because that was one one thing that I really wanted Mm. to address. But Mm. the the other one is actually the mental, like don't have any, because I was used to think, oh, probably, you know, it's Monday night. I probably don't need a glass of wine. And then it's like, oh, but we're having pasta. I think I need like a glass of, like (laughs) how can you have pasta without a glass of red kind of thing? So, so. It was more that debating in my head yes. that I felt so good, like it doesn't even cross yes. my mind now. And now when I go out, I my thing is, do they have alcohol-free beer? Then I'll have it. Otherwise, I yes. have no water. I'm exactly yeah. the same. I really enjoy alcohol-free beer. And the Europe is so far advanced. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> so much choice. I did my first sober Ibiza holiday last summer. And I was kind of like, oh, it's going to be really difficult. We went to the supermarket. There was a whole section, like six shelves of all these different alcohol-free beer brands. I was like, this is actually kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And in Sweden, because we have very low tolerance of drink driving. Mm, um, I see. uh, We always have that. But um, but, uh, in some restaurants, they laugh at you. (laughs) In Ibiza, in the restaurants, it was a different question. It was like, take someone's drink order and you, oh, um, water, huh? Why? What's wrong? Are you driving? (laughs) Exactly. No, I just don't want it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> There's something else you mentioned actually about the decision to just removing that kind of like questioning whether you're going to drink or not. And it sparked something when thinking about entrepreneurship. I don't know. It's like famously, you know, people like Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg, they wear the same thing every day yeah. to minimize the number of decisions they have to make because actually making decisions takes up so much mental energy. The less decisions we have to make in a day, the more efficient we can be right the more productive we can be so I think yeah just removing even the decision am I going to have a drink or not tonight you're instantly creating space in your head for so much other more positive stuff yeah absolutely and that's why I like exercising in the morning because you know exercising um, sometimes is hard and Mm. difficult but if you actually do it first thing in the morning without thinking but Mm. if I do it at night I actually can't I I rarely do it at night because I I find that then I'm like but yeah but am I not a bit sore or tired or (laughs) lazy <laughs> I'm the same I'm exactly yeah. the same so I think that is the same and I think most people can relate to that mm. kind of um, um, comparison so um, mm. yeah it's an interesting yeah, subject so I know many of you who will be hearing this and relating to your story a lot being able to make big changes to your lifestyles requires a lot of inner strength and mm. must feel very empowering what you have done mm. and I personally believe we all have the power to make positive changes in our lives and what I call jumping to our driver's seat. So, and I actually have dedicated a whole chapter in my book, Your Dream Life Starts Here, to actually um, jump into driver's seats and take control of your life. Mm. Do you have any advice for our listeners who might be thinking about making the, a big change in their life or choosing to remove alcohol from their life, but might be fearful of the outcome? Fearful of the outcome? Mm. Well, there's a whole section in a chapter in my book called FOMA, conquering FOMA, fear of missing alcohol. (laughs) And I think, yeah, when we think about making any kind of a big change, it's human nature. It's again, it's our biology to kind of like predict what may be the future outcome so we can prepare for what might be the future negative outcome. Future tripping, very anxiety inducing. And it can keep us locked in patterns and in a comfort zone that may be actually very restrictive to us also, maybe preventing us from really stepping into the driving seat and kind of steering the ship into the life of our dreams. 
Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, you know, one of the first ever self-help classics was called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, yeah. right? And I think I've never actually read it, but I think it was the first self-help book that I ever properly heard of yeah. that became really same. popular maybe like 20 years yeah, ago probably, longer yeah, yeah so yeah it's the same with alcohol feel the foma and do it anyway like actually if you have a fear it's an edge and just beyond that edge is where you're going to expand into your next next expansion right it's where you're going to become more abundant where you're going to become more confident when you become become more of something yeah so yeah actually welcome i would say welcome those edges and welcome that fear as long as it's not a fear that's going to be endangering your physical physical being you know <laughs> um but really try and see those challenges or um notice that any fear comes up that is actually just your your kind of amygdala the comfort seeking part of your brain the security seeking part of your brain warning you oh hold on things are going to be different but actually you wouldn't be you want things to be different or you wouldn't be contemplating making this change because you know something needs to change right so it's really weighing up or learning how to um dance with that fear and actually sort of welcome it in i think but again this is where having people to support you having community to support you along the way to be able to talk to people about your fears to be able to feel supported by colleagues by friends by family is so so important so not doing it alone i think is one of the most important things if you can find and if it's not someone in your immediate circle then there are support groups where you can go to get support in making this change too and i don't think you know, like I said, I went to AA and it didn't feel like the right fit for me, but it helps so, so many people. Yeah. And the fact that you can get free, free peer-to-peer support from that group, like anywhere in the world, pretty much any time of day is kind of amazing. Yeah. And definitely there's no shame in in going and checking it out if you feel like you may need some extra support yeah. or getting a coach or a therapist or someone who can be like on your team yeah. to walk you through those those more challenging moments I think is just never you can you should never see it as an act of, as a as a sign of weakness or anything to be ashamed of it's you're help, helping yourself is truly not only an act of self-love and self-care but it's it's often how we are able to make the next big leaps you mm. know yeah and I've just been so lucky and creating the numinous I've met like all my friends now are coaches and therapists and healers and <laughs> so every, I'm surrounded right people, by myself yeah. I've surrounded myself with um people who are really who really are there for me in that kind of a way you know yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm that person for many people also yeah so I think finding your finding your tribe to kind of like support you through it, it's really important yeah. and I think you know you mentioned one of your one of your drinking buddies is now also doing a, a year sober and pretty much everybody I'm close to in my life now has either stopped drinking or dramatically reduced their drinking or yeah. is experimenting because they're because we're in close communion and relationship and they see the positive impacts that it's had for me and they're curious too and I think the more open you can be about it you really will find that more people than you would ever really think yeah. are willing to give it a go at least give it a try with you you know yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in anything, like if you want to start a business, you know, go out and have coffees with people who mm. have done it before. Exactly. You know, I, I cannot, that's how I learned yes. um, anything in life. And um, you can always seek out people. And, you know, the, the beauty being alive right now is that mm. um, the world is so connected. So mm-hmm. if you were looking for support, you can find it online. If it's exactly. not here, you can do it from anywhere in the world. And that's kind of the beauty of um, of um, today's community. It really is. Yeah, that's yeah. The, the plus side of 
the social media yeah, world we live in is that you can, find, you can find anybody to help you along the way. Yeah. So I'm sure through your sober curious journey, there have been some challenges. Mm-hmm. What were the major obstacles you personally faced along the way? And if there were any, how did you overcome them? Because I think um, that would be a really interesting angle from, for them, for our listeners. Yeah. It's hard. I, it's funny, right? <laughs> At this point... I'm so I'm so sort of far along, so far removed from what felt like the difficult phase. It's actually very hard for me to remember. Yeah. And all I can think of is the kind of positives. Some of the challenges. I honestly find it very hard to think of the challenges, but they would generally be around peer pressure or being yeah. in situations where I felt pressured to drink. Yeah. And that kind of internal struggle between am I going to drink or am I going to stay true to what I want? Like those were probably the most challenging times I would say but really it's just been time and consistently making a different choice yeah that's helped me through that you know yeah um in terms of other challenges like really no no. that's good good well that shows um, but yeah the the and I think as well I mean interestingly I it coincides me getting properly sober curious and really cutting it cutting it out and stepping away from alcohol and moving in different circles coincided with my move to New York. I think if I'd have done it while I was in London, mixing with the same crowd, working in the same industry, yeah. it probably would have been more challenging. Yeah. So in a way, having it, having that coincide with that big break in my life, yeah. I had a clean slate in a way to begin rebuilding or building a new social circle yeah. that was more aligned with what I wanted, the way yeah. I wanted to socialize and the kind of conversations I wanted to be having. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I made it, it was easier for me in yeah. that respect. I guess one thing, and this does come up fairly regularly in my Q and A's and events I do on this subject. My husband was a big, was a big dream to drink a lot together and really yeah. enjoy drinking together. Yeah. So there were probably moments where he wasn't necessarily on the same vibe as me. And, but we have such an understanding relationship and honestly, like he now doesn't drink at all. He even is more anti-alcohol than me now. <laughs> interesting yeah really interesting but I guess there were maybe a few moments where like he was still wanting to drink and I wasn't drinking anymore and it was kind of like oh wow what are we going to do you know there's just like some negotiate relationship negotiation that happens yeah there yeah so yeah yeah but again it's just about being kind and not judging each other's choices as much as possible just really noticing when judgment comes up and again stepping back from that and questioning why am I feeling judgmental about him wanting to drink it's his choice. He can yeah. do what he likes. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe it's reflecting something yeah. I'm judging in myself. You know, yeah. just being really self-aware, I think, yeah. is the key. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It all starts with self-awareness, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. So I've noticed you believe strongly in the power of visualization. I never know how to say that word <laughs> in my Swedish English and manifest manifestation. Mm. And you also encourage journaling as a practice as well, mm. which of course I'm very mm. um, very much loving as well. I also believe so strongly in the power of putting pen to paper, writing down your feelings and dreams consistently. And this is a huge part of my new book, You Dream Last Starts mm. Here. But in your opinion, how important are these practices to you personally and what impact have that had on your life? Well, it's interesting. As a journalist and someone who writes for a living, yeah. I didn't really get into journaling um, until kind of quite late down my path, I suppose, because I always equated writing with work and yeah. like earning a living and yeah. answering a brief. So it was kind of the last thing I wanted to do for myself. Yeah. And in a way, I still don't journal much. I've been doing some more recently. 
But the more I started writing about myself and my life, that sort of became like my journaling. Yeah. Meaning when I started, I mean, the numinous when it first began was more like a blog, I guess. Yeah. And even social media, I sort of use like a mini blog now. Yeah. Um, but then writing my two books, they both became much more personal than I had really intended. But I realized how important it was for me to get my story down on paper yeah. and how actually writing my story out and writing what had happened helped to put together so many of the puzzle pieces of my life and really helped me to understand how and why I had got to where I had. And being able to see with real clarity that path, meaning see it literally in black and white out of my head on a piece of paper, yeah. things started to make so much sense. And from that place, it just became so much easier to make choices and changes that were aligned with where I wanted my story to go next. Yeah. So I think it's a you know, having it as my profession, I've maybe approached it slightly differently. But the power of storytelling, I think, is huge. And that brings us back to the kind of beginning of our conversation in a way. And I think journaling is just about getting your story out. So you really can sort of begin to map where you're at yeah. in your life. I think it's really important, whether it's through journaling and writing or whether it's in, um, you know, sharing circles. Yeah. And one of the practices I began finding myself engaging in fairly regularly when I started the numinous I'd be going to moon circles or healing groups and people would share their stories and share why they were there yeah and that's something I hadn't really experienced before but I found it to be very cathartic and really helpful yeah 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 love that <laughs> thank you so much so a big crazy dream of mine is to inspire 101 million people around the world to write down three carefully considered dreams on paper and start chasing them. Mm. What three dreams would you write down if you knew anything was possible and Ooh. you couldn't possibly fail to achieve any of them? <laughs> oh my goodness. Exciting thought, eh? Yeah. Well, my husband works in hospitality and we have a long-standing dream to have our own property some kind of a hotel or retreat center or something yeah. where because I really do love bringing people together to have actual physical experiences together in my yeah. 20s I ran club nights <laughs> more recently I run kind of like you know sober curious events yeah. and things and I love leading people in retreats and witnessing and helping people to actually have transformations so a dream is to open my own or to have my own physical space or center to be able to do that in yeah. so that's one of them yeah. for anyone listening love you might that. want to invest in the numinous hotel yeah beautiful i love that <laughs> i'll definitely come there um another dream i'd really like to be able to bring the tools that i talk about on the numinous and in sober curious to people and communities who may not feel like they have access like to may not feel like this is for them for whatever reason, you know, because of yeah. their background, because of their education, because of their financial means. And I think that often in the modern wellness space, it's unfortunate that many of these practices can seem quite elitist and they're really not. These are practices which you actually don't need lots of money or any yeah. kind of particular. Well, they're, they're tools that anybody can embrace in their lives, yeah. right? With just the right guidance. And so another dream is to really kind of make the sober curious conversation and the sort of mystical or emotional wellness conversation as accessible as possible to as yeah. many people as possible. Yeah. So that's something else. Another great one. <laughs> um, number three, dream. I don't know. I sort of feel like I'm living my dreams, yeah. Christina. What can I say? I love it. I love it. I, love it. I, love I mean, it. One, a big one for a long time was to really to find ways to connect to my family on a deeper level. Yeah. But again, that's something I've really been 
experiencing the past year or two in particular, just having much more deeper, much more connected relationship with all of my family members and experiencing a sense of experiencing family in a way that I hadn't really before. You know, my family's quite always been quite separated. We all live in different places. My parents divorced when I was very young. And so family was always something I had a difficult time understanding in a way. Yeah. But the past couple of years, through effort on my own part, I've really been able to bond and mesh with my family in a way that I hadn't before. So that's something I'm, that's a dream that's coming true right now. Yeah, nice. (laughs) Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I am often asked by many people, how can I live a balanced life? It seems like that's a a big issue that people are living out um, out of balance. With all your commitments and work and helping others live their best life, how do you manage to find balance in your life? I'm very selective about the people I spend my time with mm. on terms of my social time, my my downtime, you know. I have a very close-knit group of people that I actually will commit to. Yeah, it's a theme on this podcast. Okay. I love it, I love it. And, you know, there's, um, there's someone who's done some research that you become the five people you yes. spend the most time with. Exactly. So absolutely. Exactly, yeah. and I think that's a two-way street, actually. As you are becoming more yourself, then the people that you are spending the most time with will shift because you have become much more discerning, yeah. right? And so I'm super discerning about who I actually spend time with. Yeah. I've really realized that everything about my environment and largely the people that I'm inviting in have such a huge impact on my self-esteem, the way that I see myself, the way that I see the world. Yeah. And so I curate that very, very carefully. I'd say that's kind of my number one yeah. thing, actually. Yeah. As well as the not drinking. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I would love to finish up asking you a few quick questions. Mm-hmm. I know our listeners will love you to answer. Mm. Um, one thing I'm super passionate about is making time for self-care and dreaming every day. And I tend to work on this on my in my morning routine. So mm. I have something I call my holy hour, which is very holy for me. Mm. Um, do you have a morning routine or daily rituals that you, you can share with our listeners um, to set you up for a productive day or life? Well, yeah. I meditate for 20 minutes as soon as I wake up. Yeah. And it's become so ingrained now. Like yeah. I never miss a day. And if I weirdly do, maybe a couple of times a year, I feel so strange Yeah, <laughs> not to have had that kind mm. of transition period to me meditating first thing in the morning before I've done anything else it feels like a transition between the sleep state very connected in my subconscious state and the kind of like real waking world and I couldn't imagine starting my day without that transition now so I do transcendental meditation 20 minutes in the morning and then I have my hot water and lemon and then I have my special oatmeal that I make and then I have my green tea so it's kind of a quite a food-based routine Um, but my mornings are really for writing as well. Part of my routine actually is no email or no social media until I've done whatever creative work I need to do. Yeah. For me, that's writing work and it depends. It's different if I'm writing a book or if I'm writing articles or social media, but any creative writing I do, I need to get done that day. I will do it before I look at any social media or any emails. Yeah. And I actually take the Instagram app off my phone every night I delete it from my phone. That is good. Because it's super addictive. Yeah. I designed to be super addictive. And it's funny, people talk about moderating alcohol, right? Which I'm not a fan of the idea of moderation because I just think it doesn't ever work. Yeah. But yeah, I kind of moderate with social media. It's like I only have it Instagram specifically. I only have on my phone between the hours of like 11 and 7, Monday to Friday. And I take it off my phone for the whole weekend. 
Yeah. That's inspiring. Yeah. Because yeah, I it's think really so many helps me. included are absolutely addicted to Instagram and I love it. I but, love it yeah. as a tool. I love it when I'm using it, but yeah. I know that if it's there, I will be spending way more time on it than is productive, yeah. than is necessary. And actually, I prefer to see it as a tool, somewhere I go to spread my message, to put stuff out into the world. Yeah. I don't, mindless scrolling just is not the best use of my time and no. energy. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. That's a really good tip. And, and I think a tip that a lot of our listeners can. Mm. from so thank you very much so do you have a kiki k favorite product or a favorite stationary product that you can share with us a favorite stationary product yeah mm. well i am a fan for pens like i always yeah. make sure i have a really nice pen you know yeah. I, st- I don't really i guess i don't really write that much i do ri- have a written to-do list yeah so yeah nice pens perfect so yeah we I have a little, oh, a little, thank um, you. little pack for you. And there's my favorite pen in there, which awesome. is the pen. <laughs> so hopefully that will become your favorite. That sounds fun. What's your favorite book and why? Ooh, favorite book. I was actually weirdly thinking about this today. I really love reading novels. Yeah. I actually don't read very much self-help or personal development. I think maybe because I've, I write that in that space. It's yeah. like, I don't know. I like to use novels as a way to transcend. Again, it's, yeah. I love stories. Yeah. Um, and I recently, I spent the weekend at my mum's and I picked up her copy of The Secret History by Donna Tartt, yep. which is an amazing murder mystery novel. It's so beautifully told. It's very haunting and evocative. And I'm planning to reread it. I know I was actually thinking on the train up here, how I never reread books. And it's like, I was almost sending a, a message to the author thinking, you should be really honored. I'm going to reread your book because <laughs> I never reread books, but I'm really excited to read it again. Yeah. Why do I love it? It's just such a wonderful story. Mm. And it's really woven with so much insight about human nature. And it's very mystical too in, in many ways. So I'm looking forward to diving into that again. Yeah. I haven't read that one. I read her oh. other one. I can't the Goldfinch? Yeah. yeah. She's an amazing yeah. writer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I rarely read novels actually, but I have, right. I have read that one. But I haven't read her <laughs> new one. So um, we'll link to that one so we can all benefit of reading that book mm. one last question for you mm. if you could go back to your younger self say when you're in your late teens mm. what advice would you have given yourself knowing what you know now <sighs> my late teens was such a troubled time it's something I write about in both of my books actually I was in a very abusive relationship I had an eating disorder it was not good mm. so plenty of advice for that younger self I think I would let her know that she's so much smarter and stronger than she's been led to believe and that she can she is safe to make choices for herself that are for herself and she doesn't have to worry about pleasing everybody else first yeah love that Mm. such a good way of ending this episode one of the um i reference an australian author in my book called bronnie ware and she wrote the book the five regrets of the dying or something like Mm. that i'm not exactly sure if that's the right title but i'm referencing in the book and them so she was a palliative caretaker Mm. and she was interviewing people who were dying about their regrets in life and the most common regret is that people or the number one was that people didn't live a life true to themselves and I think that is such a good one to remember that at the end of the life we and only us can make the changes or um, making sure that we live a regret-free life and regardless of our past we can Mm -hmm. always change so I think that's a beautiful way of 
ending. And thank you so much, first, for taking the time. I know your time in London is limited, so I really appreciate it. And it's been such a great conversation and a conversation that I think will be more frequent um, mm. in the future, which I really hope and I think it will, because I think the new generation are really open for a sober life. And yeah. The more yeah, I meet more younger people now that do not drink, which yeah. I think is amazing. And so thank you, first, for sharing your amazing work. And we're going to link to both of your books and help you sell as many books as we possibly Thank can. You so much. And, <laughs> and uh, I look forward to continue to see what happens in your journey. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I just love chatting to Ruby. Not only is she super inspiring, but I can also really relate to her sober curious journey so much as I've been on one myself. And I can only say that after not drinking after two and a half years, I do feel that I'm a lot healthier, I sleep better, and I'm more focused and present in my everyday life, which is so important to me. We are all different though, and giving up alcohol may not be something you're looking to do. But I hope if you are considering making a similar change in your life, that this episode has helped you. And if you're not looking to give up alcohol, I still hope you find some wisdom in our conversation. What I really loved about chatting to Ruby was that everything she spoke about really came back to the idea of living your best life and the importance of asking yourself, what type of life do I really want to live? This is the whole idea behind this podcast and also my book, Your Dream Life Starts Here. So if you haven't got a copy yet, it's full of tips and inspiration to help you on the path to living the life of your dreams. It's also full of wonderful stories from some of the most inspiring people who have worked hard to achieve their dreams. If you love this episode, please don't forget to subscribe for plenty more inspiration. And please tell us what you thought by leaving us a review. And if you want to see more what's happening in my world, you can follow me on Instagram at Christina Kiki K. Until next time, don't forget to dream big and chase those dreams.